Hello and welcome to Stories from India. This is a podcast where we talk about myths, legends and folk tales from India. I am your host Narad Muni and I'm a mythological character myself. I have the gift of eternal life and knowledge of the past, the present and the future. By profession, I'm a traveling musician and a storyteller. So the way I'm doing my job is by podcast. In this episode we are back in the Mahabharat which is one of the two major epics in Indian mythology. The other one being the Ramayana which we have also covered before on this show. If this is your first time listening to the show or in particular if this is your first time listening to a Mahabharat episode don't worry. I'll give you some context. Though I do recommend listening to the previous episodes when you get the chance. The links are in the show notes. The story so far has mostly to do with the ruling dynasty in the empire of Hastinapur. It began with Bhishma, who was the crown prince. Bhishma gave up his throne and promised never to have any children just so that his father could marry a local fisherman's daughter satyavati and her children could rule instead but things did not go according to satyavati's plans satyavati's children passed away early without leaving behind any heirs to the throne bhishma was eligible but he stuck to his promise of not ruling because to him it was somehow more important to keep the promise he had made in his youth than to bring stability to the citizens of his empire who were badly looking for it in the earliest instance of breaking the fourth wall vyas the author of the mahabharat jumped out from behind the proverbial curtain and revealed that he was actually satyavati's secret son but he wasn't there to sit on the throne he just wanted to continue to write the story and to direct the show from the sidelines after he helped continue the family three boys were born dhritarashtra pandu and vidur dhritarashtra was the eldest but he was born blind pandu had health problems all his life vidur was perfectly healthy but he was ineligible because his mother was a servant girl and not a princess pandu ruled as emperor for a short while before he accidentally killed a rishi a crime that was big enough that he had to give up his throne to dhritarashtra pandu's wives kunti and madri had five sons between them thanks to a little help from some gods kunti's dark little secret was that she had the same divine intervention before and that had resulted in a baby karna this was even before she got married to pandu 
to avoid the harsh judgment from society she cast away the baby karna in a basket down the river dhritarashtra meanwhile had married gandhari a princess from gandhar she permanently blindfolded her eyes not in sympathy but out of spite after finding out that she had been asked to marry a blind man after a very difficult pregnancy she was blessed with over a hundred children the oldest of those was duryodhan it was already controversial who deserved to sit on the throne was it yudhishthir the eldest pandav because he was also the oldest of the lot and his father had been emperor or should it be duryodhan because he was the oldest son of the current emperor technically duryodhan was younger than two of the pandavas but his father was on the throne now that choice of ruler duryodhan or yudhishthir was at the heart of the entire saga today's story continues with the pandav and kaurav princes still young and in school and learning from professor dronacharya gather round now children dronacharya said if this was a version of harry potter with the pandavas as the gryffindors and kauravs as slytherins it would have been a bit hard to decide which hogwarts teacher dronacharya was most like he was not partial to the kauravs as snape would have been he was not completely negligent like his predecessor kripacharya he also wasn't secretly a werewolf a conman or a paranoid retired warrior the professor he had the most in common with was dumbledore because the primary reason dronacharya wanted to train these princes was so that one of them would take revenge against his arch enemy in fact while delivering a lecture on the proper positioning of the pinky while firing an arrow he tangentially brought up this topic you know we haven't discussed your fees or guru dakshina he pointed out my father the emperor is paying your salary duryodhan said what more do you want in a subtle way duryodhan was already staking his claim to the throne at that early age well pointed out duryodhan the professor replied however there's a difference the salary from the emperor allows me and my family to survive the guru dakshina on the other hand is more than that it is meant to show your appreciation for the years of learning that you are about to get from me the shasan narrowed his eyes and asked but what if we don't appreciate the learning he felt 
This was a trick question. Dushasan, shh! You're not supposed to say that. You might hurt the professor's feelings. One of the Kauro brothers whispered. Unfortunately, loud enough that the entire class could hear. What are these feelings you speak of? asked Duryodhan. Dronacharya sensed that the class was going to veer off into dangerous philosophical territory here. He wanted to quickly bring them all back on track. He raised a hand for silence. As your guru, I get to ask you for anything I want. What I want to know is will you, as my students, promise to do it unconditionally? The class remained silent, except for one voice that immediately said, Yes! Dronacharya sought out its owner and he positively beamed at the boy. Arjun, isn't it? Sir, yes sir, that's me sir. Look at Arjun, my lads. I'm giving him an A-plus grade for this answer. But, but that can't be right, Yudhishthir protested. You can't promise something without knowing what it is. Oh yes, Yudhishthir, you can, if your guru asks you, Dronacharya replied. But it's in our textbook. Promise-making and promise-keeping for princes. Chapter 7 clearly says that a king or a royal descendant thereof should not make unconditional promises without having a full legal and council review of said promises. Bah! Textbooks. Academic nonsense. They can't teach you as much as the real world. But, Professor... You are the author of this book. Dronacharya stumbled briefly, but recovered quickly. And that is why you must listen to me. The knowledge in books is static, whereas what I have to say is dynamic. Yudhishthir was positively sulking now. And you definitely reinforced the textbook when you talked to us about unconditional promises, just last night. Had he? Dronacharya struggled to remember last night's lecture. He had been reading books on quantum mechanics right before the lecture and his head was still hurting a little from trying to understand the subject. Something like this was bound to happen he made a mental note not to ever teach again when he was fatigued. Well, this is an exceptional case, he said, because the way I was treated was exceptionally unfair. It's a long story that I'm sure Narad will cover in a future episode of this podcast. But for today's purposes... Let's just agree to move on with the knowledge that I'm very impressed with Arjun and he gets to be the very first member of a squad I'm putting together. 
It's called the Avengers. Yudhishthir was not satisfied. I bet it's just because Arjun wasn't paying attention during last night's lecture. And I bet he hasn't even read the textbook, he grumbled. The rest of the day went by without incident. Later that night, as Dronacharya was trying to sleep, he couldn't. I guess he was the bare chronotype and he needed the eight hours of sleep to be productive in the mornings. But the infernal whizzing of arrows was annoying him. Suddenly, he panicked at that thought. Whizzing of arrows? Now that he had made the connection, he was sure that's exactly what it was. Was the school under attack? Should he go and hide? No, he should take care of his students first. After all, one of them was going to avenge him. So he grabbed a bow and arrow and rushed out. And then relaxed. The whizzing of the arrows made it seem like they were flying away from the school, not towards it. You know, the Doppler effect. He yawned and was tempted to go back to his cozy mattress. But then, curiosity got the better of him, and he decided to investigate. As he approached, he saw the vague shape of a little boy in the distance. It was a dark, moonless night, and yet the boy seemed to be grabbing arrows by his side and aiming them somewhere. The professor approached, but the boy didn't react, even when Dronacharya was within touching distance. The professor finally recognized the spy. It was Arjun. Chilly evening, eh? He asked politely. Arjun turned around to face him. Oh, professor, I didn't know you were there. What are you doing up so late, my lad? I'm practicing archery. Arjun had come a long way since calling it stick throwing in episode 127. And how are you doing that exactly? Dronacharya asked. What are you aiming at? I drew a target on a tree. 50 yards away. I'm trying to hit it. Dronacharya was puzzled. Is there a trick here, boy? Are you wearing secret night vision contact lenses or something? No, sir. I'm trying to hit the target using just my memory of where I recall it was. Dronacharya was vastly impressed but a little cautious at the same time. Where had the boy gotten the idea that this might actually work? Arjun explained that it was at dinner that night. In the cafeteria, we were eating by lamplight as usual. 
but the windows were open and a sudden gust of wind blew out all the lamps it suddenly became pitch dark and yet most of us kept eating i bet you were all in a hurry to cram in some tv before going to bed eh the professor asked not tv we are in ancient india 2500 years before television will be invented but i know most of the lads wanted to get back to their comic books an art form that does exist in our time arjun replied thoughtfully but the main point professor is that we continued eating our hands continued to pick up the food and carry it to our mouths our hands knew where the food was and we managed even though it took a long time for the windows to be closed and the lamps to be lit again so i got to thinking can i fire an arrow at something if its position is imprinted in my brain i know the answer to that arjun you can certainly fire an arrow at anything you like the big question my boy is whether you will have hit anything and the answer to that we will find out tomorrow morning so they went off to their respective beds but dronacharya set his alarm for a little earlier than usual he had something serious to investigate from what arjun told him on their walk back to the dormitory last night he had fired about 40 arrows time to see how much coaching was required here if the boy had gotten even one or two arrows within 5 feet of the target he could be a promising young archer and more importantly it meant it would be all the more easy for him to avenge dronacharya's insult the professor began by scanning the ground he didn't see a single arrow no this boy must be hopelessly bad it's just my luck he thought only one student had agreed to be an avenger and he wasn't hawkeyed he rested a moment against a tree and then felt something poking him he looked at it and was shocked there on the tree was a little circle with the red yellow blue and white marks typical of an archery target except this one was much smaller but that's not what was remarkable the most remarkable thing here was that the target was full of arrows dronacharya counted them 40 arrows each one had hit the target and this wasn't some kind of a clever trick or anything the professor could clearly see that the arrows had been fired from a long distance judging from the depth to which they were embedded in the tree could bhishma have fired these arrows 
he quickly scanned the barcode on one of the arrows. The answer became clear. They had been issued by the university's weapons department to Arjun. There was no question. This boy was an exceptional archer and perhaps the greatest of all time. Dhruvacharya was sure now. He was going to be avenged. And it would be Arjun doing it. And the easy part was that Arjun didn't even need training. Imagine all the pain Dumbledore had gone to to train Harry Potter, messing about with horcruxes and such. He should have just found himself a pre-trained boy, just like Dronacharya had. And just like that, Arjun became Dronacharya's favorite student. Well, not quite the favorite, but second favorite right after his own son. That was a privilege the professor had. He got to train his own son, Ashwatthama, along with the other princes. Come to think of it, there were instances where Arjun had overcome roadblocks that Dronacharya had put in an effort to let Ashwatthama learn faster than his classmates. For example, that time when Dronacharya had asked all the students to fetch water and then come back for lessons, he had specifically instructed that he would begin his lessons the moment the first student came back, not the last. He had deliberately given Ashwatthama a wide-mouthed pot so that he could fill his pot with water faster than anyone else and get more face time with the professor. This makes very little sense to me, because Ashwatthama was his son, and they could have gotten all the face time they wanted after school hours. Arjun had been the only one to fetch water as quickly as Ashwatthama, despite the fact that Dronacharya had deliberately given him and the other princess a very narrow-necked pot, which took much longer to fill. How had Arjun done it? He would ask the lad later on. But for now, he had an important change to make in today's lessons. And the inspiration for that was how Arjun hadn't even noticed his professor's presence last night until Dronachari greeted him. So, Professor, asked Bhim, why are we in the field when the lesson is on economic policies and trade negotiations? And why did you ask us to bring our bows and arrows with us? We have a change in lesson plans, Bhim, Dronacharya said. We are going to practice archery, groans from most of the class. We just did that yesterday. All the more reason to practice again, the professor replied. Sooner or later, your economic policies and trade negotiations will get a faster resolution with a bow and arrow. 
archery is the latest craze. Don't get me wrong. Swords, clubs, spears, all those are great. But the thing that is most likely to get you victory is if you attack your enemy slash trade negotiator slash economic rival from a safe distance when you're out of reach of their swords, clubs, and spears. There were a few more grumbles from the class when Dronacharya asked them to line up, single file. Arjun was the first in line. Not you, Arjun. Go to the back of the line, Dronacharya commanded. Arjun was puzzled. Had he done something wrong? But he didn't say anything and meekly went and stood at the back of the line. Dushasan was first. Dronacharya pointed in the distance. Do you see that old tree all the way there? Dushasan nodded. Well, look at the lowest branch on the left. There's a bird there. Aim for its eye. Dushasan adjusted his bow, positioned the arrow and took aim. Now don't fire. All I want you to do is to aim. I have, Professor, Dushasan replied. Tell me, Dushasan, what do you see? Dronacharya asked. I see the trees, the branches, the bird, the sky, the grass. All right, step aside. Next, he called out. Bhim was next, and Dronacharya went through the same exercise with him and got the same response. Bhim saw everything that Dushasan did, but he also saw his father, the god of the wind, waving at him. Yudhishthir, Nakul, Sahadev, and all the Kaurav brothers went one by one, and their answers did not vary too much. One Kaurav brother observed that it was remarkable that the bird hadn't flown away or even moved a little in all this time. Another expressed displeasure at the possibility of killing an innocent creature. To both of those comments, Dronacharya had to remind them that the bird in question was a fake. It was a toy bird that Dronacharya had himself installed this morning. He had taken particular pride in the eyes. He had drawn them with the typical bullseye target pattern. They are five rupees a dozen at the gift shop, he was careful to remind them, without mentioning that he would get to pocket 100% of the commissions from those sales. Duryodhan had a particularly acerbic response to Dronacharya's question. I'll tell you what I don't see, Professor. I don't see the point of this question. And I don't see why we are here outside, in the hot summer sun, instead of eating ice cream inside. Dronacharya had finally run out of princes and only Arjun was left. Arjun stepped up and expertly adjusted his arrow and took aim.
Tell me, Arjun, what do you see? The professor asked. I see the bird's eye, professor. And? Dronacharya asked. What about the sky, the leaves, the branches, the trees and grass? I only see the eye, Arjun replied. Oh my God, Yudhishthir spoke up. My baby brother, we have to take you to an eye doctor. Relax, Yudhishthir. Arjun has all his vision at his disposal. He is choosing to focus it on what matters, the professor explained. Now, Arjun, fire. Arjun did, and instantly the arrow flew and knocked off the bird from the tree. The Shasin grumbled that this wasn't a fair contest because the others weren't even allowed to fire their arrows. In response to that, Dronacharya gave him the task of fetching the bird. When he got back, Dronacharya held up the bird for everyone to see. The arrow was perfectly stuck in the center of the bird's eye. And this, my dear children, is why Arjun is the greatest archer amongst you, and maybe in the world. And this is how I'm going to get my revenge. I mean, this is how you children are going to learn to be warriors. He recovered quickly. Arjun got a few dirty looks from the other students. But his position, as Dronacharya's favorite, was now fully cemented. Mostly because the professor was confident nothing could stop him from taking his revenge. Dronacharya's backstory is something I will definitely cover in a future episode. It's the reason he was single-mindedly looking to assemble an Avengers team. Ashwatthama plays an important part later in the Mahabharata as well. The way Arjun managed to fetch water quickly was by invoking the sea god. Somehow, Varun, the sea god, was able to bend the laws of physics so that Arjun's pot filled up very quickly. But hey, bending the laws of nature? That's what gods do. Arjun's bird-eye story is often mentioned during archery lessons, even in the modern age. We'll leave it there this week. In the next episode, we'll do a folktale from Uttarakhand. It's a tale of a mother and daughter who go picking fruits and end up something very life-changing happen to them. If you have comments or suggestions, or if there are particular stories that you would like to hear, please do let me know by leaving a comment or a review on the site sfipodcast.com or tweet at sfipodcast. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get notified automatically of new episodes. A big thank you to each and every one of you for your continued support and your feedback. The music is from purpleplanet.com. That's purple-planet.com.
Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.